Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This was one of the most useful podcasts that I've ever done. It's with Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist, all about the neurochemicals in your brain and how to maximize them during the different times of day so you have an optimal brain day. We've talked about half the neurochemicals. Stay tuned for the other half. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So it seems like when you wake up for optimal dopamine to kick in for focus and happiness and, and, you know, pursuing dreams and so on, it's like you, you, you get that movement going. So your energy levels go up. So the norepinephrine kicks in, mm -hmm. then you kind of pick a, a, an achievable goal for the, the morning and a target. So that kind of starts kicking in the anticipation. So dopamine starts to spike, which is enhanced by the norepinephrine spiking. Then if you also kind of maybe skip breakfast, have a cup of coffee, take L-tyrosine, that further enhances the dopamine. So now you're all ready to go, you know, for those morning goals, maybe, you know, day goals or whatever. Yeah. And I don't recommend people take L-tyrosine every day. I think you're better off doing it with behavior and behavioral stuff and nutrition. You have to eat every day. So um, the supplementation I think is for occasional use. Now, and there's some warnings on those labels if people are already taking antidepressants and stuff. But for occasional use, I, I find it to be useful. Now, the one thing I want, just want to mention, and I might reference an article that uh, I published with a guy, a former SEAL team member by the name of Pat Dossett. We had an article in Fast Company about, um, it was more geared towards how to deal with stress. But the first point that we made in there was one that um, if you're feeling stressed, it, because sometimes being in forward action, you're caffeinated, you slept well, you're in action, can make you feel stressed and, and you're having a hard time focusing. The way you focus is by training the focus system. And the way you do that is by setting your sights on, on an immediate goal and a horizon that's close in that you know you can accomplish. And it can be an even trivial one. It can be, look, I'm gonna make my cup of coffee. I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take care of four email and that's it. That's my first goal. Now, of course, that's not your entire goal for the day, but it's goal-directed behavior. And so you're, you're coupling the neural circuits for focus with the neural circuits for goal-directed behavior with the neural circuits for energy and agitation. You're getting those aligned. They're, they're coherent. 
Whereas when you sit down and you look at your phone and you're getting likes from Instagram and trying to take care of some emails, your neurochemical systems are kind of split. They're incoherent. And it's no wonder that by 11 or 11.30, you haven't accomplished much or you feel like you've been kind of overworked and you're a little discombobulated. So there's a reason why in the SEAL team community, you know, there's the kind of famous YouTube video that Admiral Craven gave about, you know, first thing in the morning, make your bed. There's a, there's a reason why in those communities and all military communities for that matter, you have regular, predictable tractable practices that you know you can accomplish first thing in the day. It's not necessarily just about the practice. It's not about having a well-made bed. It's not about making a cup of coffee. It's about you being in control of the control circuits because you have these brain circuits that are involved in controlling yourself and setting blinders on yourself when you need to and moving forward towards those goals. And if you don't practice those circuits, you don't take control of them, your brain is perfectly happy to go get dopamine any number of ways, get serotonin any number of ways. And so you can train up focus. You can train up goal-directed behavior. And what's cool about it is it's an amplifying effect so that pretty soon you get up in the morning, you find yourself naturally in forward motion and naturally targeted on specific goals. So this suggests a lot of behaviors. Like for instance, if you find yourself just glued to the computer, I don't know, programming or writing an article or whatever, you're sort of saying, Hey, take a break every now and then. So you could move or, you know, get some forward motion. So you at least keep the norepinephrine up there, which keeps the dopamine still up there. Yeah. You know, there, there's some good evidence that, um, for work, you know, we want to do 90 minute, what are called ultradian cycles to distinguish them from circadian cycles that, you know, working for 90 minutes, then the brain tends to, its attentional mechanisms tend to need a little bit of a rest and then going back to things. There's the Pomodoro technique of, I think it's, you know, bouts of 20 minutes with rest. There are a bunch of different ways to chunk your effort, but I would say, uh, you know, whatever allows you to focus well on a particular goal and move toward that, pick that goal deliberately and move toward it. And that's, it's very normal to have some uh, what I call mental pop-ups for, you know, the uh, pop-ups in your mind to come, come about, or you think you need to look at your phone or maybe even do it, but to set that aside. And if you can do this, you will greatly enhance your ability to do this over time. So, um, so that's the dopamine system, in, you know, in a nutshell and how to lean into it. And then through the afternoon, what happens is cortisol and norepinephrine naturally start dropping off. That's why I recommend people get a little bit of sunlight towards the afternoon hours. Maybe that's a good time to get your exercise. It's really, you know, I can't tell people when to exercise. If you start ramping up the dopamine system or drinking a lot of coffee late in the afternoon, that's fine too, right? You, but you might run into a problem where you're gonna have challenges getting to sleep in the evening. And, you know, so as the day progresses, if, I don't know if now's a good time we talk about serotonin and about rest, yeah. but as the day progresses, there are a couple things you wanna do. You wanna start pulling back on that dopamine and norepinephrine system. So obviously not drinking too much caffeine late in the day, unless you, you don't really need to pull an all-nighter or something. But if you're planning to go to sleep that night, pulling back on that system, the foods you eat toward bedtime are really key. So serotonin is, some people take 5-HTP, which is the immediate precursor to serotonin. You can take that in pill form. I don't recommend that for the same reason I don't recommend L-DOPA for dopamine. It's too close to the natural chemical serotonin. But there's a naturally occurring amino acid called L-tryptophan. This is what's present in Turkey and in complex carbohydrates like pastas and rices and things like that, that is a precursor to serotonin. And so this is why many people find it useful to eat the majority of their 
complex carbohydrates late in the day. This runs against a lot of advice people have heard, but late in the day to promote the secretion of tryptophan and help them transition to more relaxation and sleep and to eat more of that. So I, I personally eat low carb during, during the day and then I eat my carbohydrates at night because it allows me to relax and sleep. And I don't tend to eat breakfast. I don't tend to eat in the morning. So the L-tryptophan really helps calm down. Now, there are a few other things that can really help improve sleep. And I wanna just point to a couple of things that people probably are already doing that are not good, in my opinion. Again, this is just my opinion. First of all, I am not a fan of people taking melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone that was designed to be released in, at night and it helps the transition to sleep. And I think Matt Walker in his book, Why We Sleep, also talks about melatonin and some of the potential hazards with melatonin. Melatonin's primary role in development is to suppress puberty. It's the reason why kids don't go into puberty until a particular age, they have chronically high melatonin, okay? So- That's funny, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so if you take melatonin at night, what happens to you? Well, it's, you know, humans, uh, you know, their reproductive system can override a lot of these hormonal changes, but it's probably not great for the reproductive hormones, testosterone in men and, and estrogen in, in women. It's gonna throw that off. All these hormones are in communication with one another. So this is why I'm not a fan of, 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 of melatonin, but also melatonin promotes the transition to sleep, but it won't keep you asleep. And so a lot of people take melatonin, they fall asleep and then they wake up at 2.33 in the morning. There are a couple things that can enhance sleep or the ability to get to sleep. So carbohydrate rich foods, things like turkey and white meats are gonna be the proteins that you know, ideally you'd eat late in the day if you wanna rest. Um, things th that are in the supplementation world that, that I take, or for instance, I take something called L-theanine, L-T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. -E. 100 to 200 milligrams of L-theanine promotes the synthesis of GABA. And GABA is what's required to shut off the forebrain so that you can fall asleep. So theanine, I should just, uh, one, one warning, if, you have, if, you're a night, uh, if you're a sleepwalker, a theanine can give you very vivid dreams. Um, and so might not be great for sleepwalkers, but there's theanine and then a compound called magnesium L-threonate, L-T-H-R-E-O-N-A-T-E. It's a specific type of magnesium there's, you can look on examine.com. There's some evidence that it's neuroprotective, so that's good, but it really increases levels of calm and increases GABA and allows you to access more and better slow wave sleep. And I think in the last year, I've recommended that combination to um, maybe, well, through my consulting work to hundreds, but to a couple, I would say a couple dozen people outside of that who have serious insomnia. And all of them are, tell me that they're just, so happy that they're finally able to fall asleep and sleep well. And the, so and these things the are magnesium. not sleeping. Magnesium threonate and L-theanine. And some people throw L-tryptophan into the mix because uh, you can buy that. I've never tried L-tryptophan. I don't tend to use that. Some people will take a little bit of um, glycine, which is another neurotransmitter that uh, promotes um, glycine. It's glycine, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. It tends to shut down brain activity a little bit. Glycine's a little bit of a tricky one. Um, I recommend if people are already staying off bright lights in the evening, because that's the one I should have mentioned, try not to surround yourself with bright lights in the evening, especially bright overhead lights. The cells in your eye that wake up the brain, that wake up your body, are in the lower half of your retina to view the upper visual field because they want to view the sun. In the morning, you want to get a lot of that light above head um, overhead or sunlight into your eyes. 
and during the day. But in the evening, if you have lights at home, try and keep them low in the room physically. If you have overhead lights, try and dim them. And I'm not too paranoid about blue lights, but you really don't want to get bright light exposure between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. I think we talked about this a little bit last time because it can really mess up the dopamine pathway, can mess up sleep. But L-theanine and magnesium um, three and eight, that combination is really good. And if you are really an aficionado of this stuff, uh, you could throw something into the mix called apigenin, A-P-I-G-E-N-I-N, 50 milligrams of apigenin. And it's really a derivative of chamomile extract. It's like uh, if you read your your kids' books, you know, it's when, Pete, um, what was it? Peter Rabbit snuck into Mr. McGregor's garden, ate all the chamomile and fell asleep, right? And then woke up and Mr. McGregor was back in his garden. Chamomile tends to make us a little bit sleepy. And so those three things together, when I take those, uh, I feel like I got clubbed over the head in a good way. And I wake up feeling great and I sleep really well. And for years, I was waking up at four in the morning, having trouble falling back asleep. Um, again, check with your doctor. But these are these are natural compounds in high potency. These are not- What time do you go to sleep at, at night? So I'm bad about this. I'll be honest, James. I'm, I'm really alert and awake early in the morning. In the afternoon, my brain doesn't tend to work that well. I like to take a nap and relax. And then I tend to stay up till about 11, sometimes 12. I really, if I go to bed at 10 o'clock, I wake up at three in the morning ready to go, but I rarely get to sleep at 10. I just figure a lot of great things in life happen after 10 p.m. And so I like the way my mind works between 10 p.m. and midnight. It's different than the way my mind works in the morning. It's a different kind of not, it's a little bit more non-linear operations, but sometimes that's good. And so I I use this, um, the I use the naps, and I do a practice called yoga nidro. I think I mentioned it last time, but where yeah. you lie down and just listen to the script once a day, that helps me fall asleep when I need to. It helps me recapture some rest that I didn't get during the night. So I tend to go to sleep around 11, 11.30, and I wake up around 6.30. And I probably, yes, I could probably use a little bit more sleep. Um, I generally wake up feeling a little bit groggy, but once I get into motion and I start going, I'm good until about three or four in the afternoon. And then I need a break. So, so, so you mentioned, um, like for serotonin, you mentioned you don't take, L-tryptophan, maybe you have, uh, you know, some, some complex carbs and so on, and that triggers the, or, or the, or nuts and that triggers the L-tryptophan. But, uh, do you do anything else for, to boost your serotonin? Okay. So, um, meat and nuts are good for dopamine and norepinephrine and a molecule I haven't talked about called acetylcholine, which is good for focus. Okay. Um, L-tyrosine, nuts, meats, you know, those sort of batch together for energy and focus, caffeine, um, if it's in, you know, if you can take drink caffeine, uh, hydrating is acetylcholine, really well. is that a supplement or is that acetylcholine a is a naturally occurring neuromodulator that, that increases focus. There are ways you can increase that too. There are supplements like, um, you can like alpha GPC, um, is a supplement that will increase uh, acetylcholine, but, uh, yeah. So, um, and then for the serotonin pathway, it's complex carbohydrates, white meats, um, like turkey in particular, uh, apigenin, theanine, and magnesium three and eight. I have to be oh, careful. I see. All yeah. of those are for serotonin. They're, yeah. they're not just serotonin for the GABA. and GABA. Yeah. So I look at my day as two parts, right? For most people, it's going to be two parts. You wake up, you want to be energized and alert and focused during the day. And then as nightfall comes, you want to start transitioning into more relaxation and sleep so that by, you know, whatever, 10, 11, uh, 12 p.m., you're going into a deep slumber and then waking up and ready to do the next thing. I always say the two states that human beings need to master, 
you know, I, I love the discussions about flow and I love the you know, discussions about awe and creativity. That's all fun stuff. But how about we just master these two states, calm and focused or asleep? If you can be calm and focused, you know, calm, alert and focused or asleep, if you can do that, you're, you're in a position to do most everything really well. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of en entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. 
So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It's such a great point. And, and it makes me think these two states reminds me of basically the two strands of, I hate to call it self-help because I'm about to describe books that I consider not self-help, but like the, the, the focus, the, the morning activities, the dopamine, the focus, the anticipation, the moving towards a goal that reminds me of Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning. So instead of like, if you wake up and you want that short-term goal, instead of just randomly getting your dopamine by searching you know, just thumbing through Instagram, which is like you say, is scattered, uh, having some sense of meaning, even if it's tiny, like, oh, I just need to return four emails that kind of pushes you in the morning, increases the dopamine and keeps you going towards the next goal. If you always have kind of micro meanings for, for each part of that morning, you're going to keep the dopamine going. And then afterwards in the afternoon, I'm switching to a new book, the, the power of now by like Eckhart Tolle, like just just focusing on like what's good about right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. kind of is the, is this serotonin thread of self-help. Yeah. Ram Das, be here now, uh, wherever you yeah. go, there you are, you know, and then on the other side, you've got, um, I love the contrast because I know David, we've done a little bit of work together, you know, like David Goggins, like can't hurt me. It's all about like, you know, David's a master of driving himself toward goals, regardless of how he feels internally. I mean, and I'll tell you from knowing him a bit, he is every bit as intense and every bit as goal-driven and focused and disciplined as he comes across. That's not a persona yeah, that he's created. That's that's him. And so you've got these, you know, and in Eastern medicine, they might call it yin yin. And, um, you know, in the Bay Area, we might call it, um, you know, for the San Franciscoites, you'll know what this means, but we might call it like Mission Marina. You know, I don't know what they call it in New York, but it's these different personalities that are more about the here and now and being relaxed or more like hard driving and in pursuit. But we all have these, both these systems. I, I, I should mention something about um, the high performance communities. One thing that you find, and I don't think this is discussed much, but one of the thing that you, things that you find about people who are very high performers, especially people that do work in very complex, chaotic environments over long periods of time, is that they master the toggling back and forth between these two systems. They really do. They really master the ability to control their dopamine system and not let it control them. So they're not getting pulled by dopamine by some external force. They're driving toward an external goal and getting dopamine in the process. So they're keeping that close close by, so to speak. They're not getting pulled toward something. They're moving toward it. And they're very good at relaxing. I was very surprised to see that some of the people who are the best performers are really good at going from full intensity to full relaxation. Let me let me ask you a question. Like, do, do, have you seen? Um, this is going to sound out of the blue, but have you seen the all the Star Wars movies, like the prequels? I, so I saw the first three of my generation. I didn't see the subsequent three that I'm told were the early ones. I, I sort of can't yeah. get past the uh, the switch up in the in the format. I, I grew up on right Star Wars, Turn of the yeah. Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Like those are, th are those ones you're referring to. No, there, there's this one scene in the um, in the very first one. I forgot what it's called now. Um, where one of the Jedi is having like this intense lightsaber battle 
uh, against one of the bad guys. And then a door shuts between them, like an automatic door, and he has to wait for five seconds. And so he instantly just like goes down on his knees, closes his eyes and appears to be meditating. And then as soon as the door opens up again, he jumps up and it starts fighting with the lightsaber yeah. again. And it sounds like that's the toggling between that's right. dopamine and serotonin, but, but very right. quickly. That's right. And if you can learn to master this, the transitions between these systems, you can see an outsized effect on performance and relationships in your life, right? I mean, you mentioned self-help and the high performance world and all these business books, a lot of them, business wellness type stuff is really about trying to amplify one or the other set of circuits. When, whereas I really feel that uh, when you look at true high performers, they have, they have great careers and healthy relationships. That's why I referenced, you know, Don Kennedy early on. You know, incidentally, Don was a runner. He used to get up every morning and run. Um, the, the, you find that people, they learn how to tap into both of these and switch back and forth, right? It's not just about being one mode or the other. Because I, I confess, I grew up in the Bay Area and I've, I've been down to Esalen and it's beautiful and all this stuff. And the, you know, I've done a couple meditation retreats. But the fact of the matter is, I was never interested in just sitting and being still for endless amounts of time and then going back to work for endless amounts of time. You know, ideally you do this on a day-to-day -day basis or even across the day. I have a trough in the middle of my day where I try and get into non-thinking, non-speaking, non-doing for maybe 10 minutes. That's what yoga nidra is really about. So that in the evening, I get a second round of high focus work because that's just the way my life's organized. I can lean back into training or, or intellectual work in, a, in the same way, uh, I, same intensity and focus I could early in the day because I have put a trough in the middle and then I go to sleep. And so you don't have to do this across the lifetime. You know, you see so many people just go, 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 and then crash. And then they learn how to do this and maybe they disappear and come back. You wanna do this across the 24 hour cycle every day. And sometimes more and sometimes less of one or the other. Like when, when do you let your gratitude practice kick in? Is it, is it when you're making this transition from morning to afternoon or, or is it throughout? My gratitude practice- this, this is related to serotonin. The gratitude practice is definitely related to serotonin. It might tickle the dopamine system a little bit, but the gratitude practice that I really try and incorporate is toward the end of the day. I really try and, uh, you know, focus on what went well, what I've got, the fact that, you know, I'm here. I, you know, fortunately I don't have COVID-19. I, uh, fortunately I'm still employed. Um, you know, all these things that I can really be grateful for. I really try and just spend one to three minutes thinking about that. And that does help me make the transition into the evening. It helps me realize that I've got most of the things I need here. And I just, put aside any anxiety that that will take me out of pursuit. In fact, once you realize this kind of uh, yin-yang, let's just call it that, of the dopamine system and the serotonin system, you start to realize that it's the ability to engage the serotonin system, the ability to deliberately disengage the goal-directed outward-facing behavior and mindset that's gonna allow me to re-engage that at a heightened capacity the next day. It's really mental recovery. It's really about shaking off that extra, uh, I have a friend from the um, SEAL team community who calls it residue. You need to shake off the residue if you wanna be able to recover and, and lean back in. And, and oxytocin, is that so tied up with serotonin that you don't have to think about it or is there extra practices you could do for oxytocin? So oxytocin is an interesting one. Oxytocin is really about long-term pair bonding. Um, it's so, uh, you know, the after, Sexual intercourse uh, is one time when oxytocin is flooded 
at flooding the brain in men and women. Um, this ensures some level of, of um, scent exchange. We're still very much uh, scent and pheromonally uh, uh, linked animals, even though uh, we don't often talk about that. It encourages those bonds so that you recognize that person's smell and other features of their chemical biology later, even when you're not reproducing. It's nature, it's mother nature's little trick. Um, and it's a, it's a nice trick uh, in most cases. Uh, it's a mother nature's little trick so that that creates warmth and familiarity. And it really has the effect of neuroplasticity. It starts to rewire the circuits that make you feel safe. And it in particular makes you feel safe in the presence of that person, AKA those chemicals. And babies and mothers and babies in particular, but also fathers and babies, this is the oxytocin system is really ramped up and babies are naturally in a heightened state of plasticity so that their feelings of safety are naturally linked to, to that parent, which is really a chemical relationship at that point. And so is there anything I should do during the day to kind of kick the oxytocin stuff in? And, you know, particularly now we're moving into an air, uh, maybe we're moving into a new normal where people aren't going to be in as much physical contact on a daily basis. You know, no more shaking hands, no more hugging. Yeah. The oxytocin system is one that really requires some stillness and pause. You know, it's it's not a fast system. You know, the dopamine system, as I mentioned before, like with humor, you get a quick shot of dopamine or um, you're doing lousy and all of a sudden, you know, maybe if you're into markets, because I know you are you know a lot about markets, you know, all of a sudden you see an inflection like, ooh, and all of a sudden your alertness goes up and you're cued to it. That's dopamine, that's norepinephrine. The serotonin system is more like if someone comes in and puts their hand on your shoulder, kind of leans down and maybe gives you a peck on the cheek, and you're like, oh, that feels good. And like, okay, I feel, the oxytocin system is gonna be more like you took a walk with your spouse or your significant other, you held hands, maybe you just sat together or you sat with your child and played played a game. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, wow, this is amazing. Like he or she is growing up and you're feeling a lot of those chemicals flood you. Again, you can take deliberate action for these. Now, there are folks out there that are using oxytocin nasal spray. This is a real thing. I've never tried this um, and I don't recommend it that are because um, a lot of it is through the olfactory system that are using oxytocin nasal spray to try and increase pair bonding. In the, you know, I hear rumors, trust me, I only hear the rumors, I've never been around this, but I hear rumors of people stacking oxytocin with ecstasy to try and create bonds between people. Um, I don't recommend going that route. I think oxytocin and the oxytocin system is best, uh, uh, you know, engaged through natural behaviors. You know, evolution did a good job with this. Um, I can mention, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I don't work on this and I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't do it myself, but the ecstasy, since I mentioned that drug, is a very synthetic compound. It doesn't match any of our natural biology, and it's designed to trigger increases in dopamine and serotonin simultaneously so that you strongly reinforce the pursuit of whatever things are happening in that immediate environment. It's like a tight loop whereas between dopamine and serotonin that normally doesn't exist. And there's some very interesting clinical trials that are happening right now with MDMA for... Um, intractable depression and for other stuff done by the MAPS group and done out at Johns Hopkins. So it's gonna be really interesting to see what the results of those are, but those are complete, that's a very synthetic artificial situation. It's like uh, cocaine and marijuana at the same time. It's sort of like, maybe people do that, I don't know, but it's, it's not a place to dabble and play games. It's definitely something that should be done in clinical trials. Um, but it, I just mention it because it's happening. It's kind of interesting because it 
it reflects this discussion. Well, what's great is I, I feel from this discussion that I've understand now so much better, not only dopamine and serotonin, but all the practices to put in place, both with, you know, how the neurochemicals work, what activities trigger them, what supplements might in, enhance them, what periods of the day they, they work better in. Um, if I, if I follow this regimen that you've described, uh, on dopamine, for instance, how close is that to, let's say someone who takes a nootropic or Adderall or, or something? Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. I had, a, I, there was an article that the BBC published. They contacted me about nootropics and asked about smart drugs. And, um, I think we need to be really careful with the discussion about smart drugs because, or nootropics as they're called, because let's think about physical exercise, just as an example, there's strength there's endurance, there's flexibility, there's explosiveness, and there's mobility. In the realm of SMART, you've got creativity, strategy development, strategy implementation, you've got linear thinking, nonlinear thinking. There's no drug right now that can tap into each one of those states separately. Um, I, I will use this as a, as a moment. To, I have a book coming out in early January that talks about the states of creativity and focus and some of these other things and, and tools to access them. But right now, the, the nootropics that I'm aware of, they will increase focus and alertness. They have things in them that will do that, but they won't specifically tap into certain kinds of mental operations. And so a lot of them have the things that I've discussed here. They have things like L-tyrosine or hordenine or other things. I haven't talked about hordenine, but things that are designed to increase blood flow, increase norepinephrine and increase the dopamine system. Um, when I look at most of the formulations that are out there, I confess I don't like them. They have things like uh, mecunipurines, which is L-dopa, which I'm not a fan of people taking. Um, I feel like so far I have not seen the really killer nootropic that that taps into these things in in the right ways, and I see a lot of um, a, a lot of experimenting, but you know it's it's nothing that really uh, kind of grabs my attention in a positive way just yet. But uh, sorry, you had another question. Um, but like Adderall, how, how, oh, compare, so, compare this right, regimen. Sorry, with Adderall. so Adderall. Um, so I went to college before. Adderall, but now I've heard um, some colleges have banned Adderall. I think Duke has banned the use of Adderall, um, except for people that really need it for ADD. So it's interesting. So Adderall was developed as a drug to treat ADD because the forebrain circuits that, can, that are very tightly linked up with the dopamine system, those circuits, so for focus and alertness and attention, in kids that have attention deficit, by giving them Adderall, it turned on those circuits and made them hyper-focused. And because kids are in such a state of heightened neuroplasticity, it made the focus circuit stronger, okay? So for adults that have trouble with focus, Adderall is likely to just increase norepinephrine and dopamine. So it has a kind of similar effect, but it it's almost, um, it, it has the potential for abuse and for addiction because it's very intense. Um, it's like hitting the accelerator on dopamine and norepinephrine. And it can, in many people, it can crash them down below baseline. Remember, you never wanna do a practice that can crash you down below baseline unless it's critical. Like if I have a deadline, I, I pull about 10, 12 all-nighters a year, I confess, because I start grants late or I start papers late. And under those conditions, I fully expect that the two or three days afterwards, I'm not gonna be at my best. But for ongoing consistent output, you wanna do the behavioral things and maybe some of the supplementation nutrition things that we talked about earlier. Adderall will definitely get you laser focused. It'll get you super alert, but it's gonna drop you down far. And it's gonna be hard to transition out of it gradually. And if you stop taking it, 
you're gonna have a really hard time getting back down to baseline. You're gonna feel like garbage for a while. Whereas the things that I'm talking about, the next day after taking L-tyrosine, provided it's in the appropriate doses and you're not doing it too often, you you might not feel your absolute best, but you're not gonna feel like you, you know, like you would had you taken, uh, you know, a drug of abuse or, or Adderall the previous day. Well, what about, um, is there any point in the day where I want endorphins to kick in just to kind of get that opioid feeling? So it's interesting you ask that. Right now, we can't really point to any specific need for that. I, I do, I have a practice where once a week I do a long run. Sometimes it's a hike, but I do a long run. I just go out for, you know, 60 minutes or more and I just run and I'll go slow, and I just build up that endurance system. Um, I That's just my personal practice. I've, I like, I'd much prefer to do one of these kind of high intensity training things where you're you know moving some heavy objects, jumping around and moving around quickly. That feels good to me on a more regular basis, but I do like to tap into that uh, opioid system the, uh, through running. The opioid system also allows your forebrain to turn off. If you ever go on a long run, provided you're not listening, um, to something that requires a lot of attention. So music or an audiobook or a podcast would be fine, but something that doesn't require, like you don't have to feel like you have to stop constantly and pay attention to every little bit. Then the forebrain tends to kind of shut off and you get into these kind of pseudo sleep states. So things like flotation tanks, meditation, yoga nidra, long runs, they tend to turn off the forebrain and they take you out of linear operations. What I mean by linear operations is when you're anticipating what's gonna happen next, what am I doing in relation to that, and how can I maneuver in the best way possible. Uh, just as an example, it used to be that going to the store to buy groceries was a kind of, you could be on the phone, you're kind of in a, it was almost like a little bit of a dream. You're grabbing things off the shelf, you're kind of looking at things, you move through, you might talk to somebody or not. Now it's all hyperlinear right? It's that like, you have to pay attention to where other people are, wait your turn in line. Do they have a mask on? Are they coughing? Or did they touch something? And then you don't want to be in constant mode of linear operations, no matter what they are, because they're taxing. You want to devote those linear operations to the things that matter most to you, the big builds in your life, the big business builds, the big, you know, creative builds. So in general, a long run for me is my mental reset to kind of turn off my forebrain, and allow me to shift back into the week. That's why I do it on Sundays. Yeah, I think this is a great guide overall to kind of how to manage the different mental states and stay in control of them rather than them controlling you. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now.
let me ask you, this is like more, it's going to sound a little stupid, but is a situation that kind of occurs in my life over the past 30 years. And it's going to sound odd. So whenever I, I find whenever I'm unhappy in a life situation, I'll get addicted to one thing in particular and I can't stop. And it's playing one minute chess online. <laughs> so I have to play, I'll, I'll just play 24 straight. If I, let's say it's like 1992, I was unhappy in a relationship and I just started, I would just start playing 24 hours a day of one minute chess. So in, let's say a chess game is 40 moves. So you're making a move every, uh, you know, three quarters, of a, three quarters of a second or a second and a half. And, uh, and I would just play over and over and over again. And I wouldn't be able to stop. And I always would reckon, I recognize over time that, oh, I only tend to do this when I'm unhappy. And it seems related to somehow like some need for this quick dopamine fix over and over and over again. And then that feeling of more that you were describing. Yeah. Because maybe I wasn't happy with my here and now. Yeah. I think it's an adaptive um, thing that you were, that you're describing. It takes you into a mode of thinking, Hey, wait there. Once you can re-engage that circuit, just like people that, you know, get up and engage in a practice, it's not directly related to their larger goal, but it re-engages the goal directed circuitry. It redirects the control circuitry. It's, it's a, it's a small, but, um, not insignificant way of taking control of your neurology. And I think what's nice about it, because um, I don't know how to play chess, so I have chess envy. I have always wanted to learn how to play chess. Um, what's nice about it is that you're 100% in control of it. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's only a minute. The stimulus is very fast. The stimulus is very I'm fast. I'm going to win or lose right away. Look, for me, there's certain music, right? I mean, I'm a human being. I've had my lows and, uh, you know, I have life events and lows. And there've been times when I have to return to a particular, you know, a particular genre or, or of music or listen to something. And I realize it brings back my sense of possibility. Sometimes that music makes me a little agitated maybe even a little angry, but you know, it gives me my fight back because there's nothing worse than being back on your heels. My, I have a, a good friend who was in, who did nine years in the SEAL teams. His name's Pat Dossett. And he has a great saying. He always says, keep your center of mass forward. Just keep your center of mass forward. And sometimes that is even just by doing the dishes, right? And I love that because I said, what's that really about? And he said, well, when I, he was describing himself, he said, when I wake up in the morning, there's always the potential to get mentally back on my heels. And I said, really? Like, I, I didn't know that he did that. And he said, yeah, you know, I could end up mentally back on my heels, but if I get up and do something, I've got my center of mass forward. And just by rewarding myself internally for having my center of mass forward, then I tend to lean forward more and more. And incidentally, he's remarkably good uh, he has a family. He's got you know young twin girls. He's you know he's happily married. He's very good at being center of mass forward, hard driving from five a.m. or so. He's an early riser. We do these long swims together in the morning until about six p.m. and then he's still center of mass forward. But it's about dinner, connecting with his family, getting the house tidy for the next day, and transitioning into a, a really good night's sleep. Very regimented, but so center of mass forward doesn't always mean in rabid pursuit. You know, sometimes um, it's center of mass forward on a Netflix show that you want to watch. It's like, I'm going to do this and I know it's good for me, but you're in control of it. So I love the one minute chess example. Um, we all have our own. Except it would be too, it would be too addictive for me. Like it was really <laughs> just about getting the, I couldn't even play five minute chess. That was too slow. It was really about getting constant feedback so, somehow. So dopamine can serve as a, as a bit of a ramp or it can serve as a bit of a of a tunnel that you can go down. So what it sounds like you were ramping off dopamine and then going and then going into other things. I, I'll make it a real quick story. There's a guy I know who's a who is a very famous artist who became a gambling addict. 
And then he finally got over his gambling addiction and he got a, addicted to Angry Birds. He was playing Angry Birds on his on his phone like 23 hours a day or something. It was ridiculous. Then he oh, got nice. over that and he rolled into something else and he realized this isn't really about the external thing. This is really about learning how to how to control this system. And we talked about this. And actually, he, and so what he has to do because he's a kind of extreme case is he has to diversify where he gets his dopamine. And he actually has to, he has to have someone else uh, control all this for him. His girlfriend gives him a schedule of what he's gonna do because he just can't do it. Now that's an extreme example. Then you've got people, like I mentioned, like my, my friend Pat, um, who you know, you know, picked this kind of mentality up in, uh, from the SEAL team's center of mass forward, but can do this 5 a.m. to 5, 6 p.m. very regimented, 6 p.m. to bedtime, very more relaxed mode. People are different, but everyone I think can work with the dopamine and serotonin system. We all have them, we're all born with them. And some of us are a little asymmetric, right? Uh, you know, some people have been over-exercising one or the other, and they might wanna pursue um, the thing that they're not so proficient at. And so hopefully we provide I, some tools for that. I, I like that kind of diversifying the sources of dopamine. And I think that's what I was lacking then. And so I kind of just attached myself to the one thing where I knew I can get like, dopamine very quickly over and over again. Well, remember the, the reason I say that addiction is a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure is because mm -hmm. it maps onto the neurobiology. And I'll even go a step further since we're having this discussion. And um, I, I see if addiction is a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure, enlightenment to me is a progressive broadening of the things that bring pleasure. I don't know about yeah. true enlightenment in the kind of Buddhist context or in any context, but then again, I don't know anyone who can put a strict definition on enlightenment because it's not a medical phenomenon. But from my life, you know, my experience in my life, the more things that can br bring me pleasure, the more sh certain I am that I can be in pursuit of pleasure from things that are outside my immediate sphere of attention and existence, or not, uh, outside the immediate sphere of my attention and grasp, and that I can move toward, as well as the things that are that I already have and that I can look to at any moment if I want to feel good. Well, uh Professor Andrew Huberman from Stanford, neurobiology, neuroscience. Uh, it's been so great. I've learned so much and I'm definitely going to start applying 100% of these techniques. I'm gonna order supplements. I'm gonna do my dopamine in the morning, my serotonin later in the day, start kicking in GABA to sleep at night. And I've, I've written a ton of notes, which I'll summarize in an article to go along with this podcast. But what, your book's coming out in January, so you have to come on a couple of times before then. So we start seeding the book, because I want to hear now next about the neurochemistry of creativity that's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, um, first of all, thanks so much for having me on again. I, I'm really enjoying our conversations and um, and greatly appreciative. Uh, definitely read the, the, you know, approach the Altair scene with caution. You know, don't, don't do it every day, James. I don't want you, uh, you know, treat your dopamine system with care, but, um, but do keep me updated how uh, they work for you and your sleep and your focus and your attention. You already seem to have a lot of energy and focus at, by my read, but um, do you, I would love to- Yeah, but I, bur I burn out by later in the day. And then it's a matter of scheduling myself so that I can focus on the here and now mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just over scheduling too much later in the day. Great. Well, um, I'm greatly appreciative of the opportunity to be on here again. And, um, and thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, thanks so much. And let's, let's talk soon.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.